We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today, I want to talk about the roster. Now, being as we are, we cannot talk specific names necessarily, but we are getting very close, guys, to the point where new players are going to be joining the team, whether it's via the draft process. We don't have a pick, but we've been working guys out. We got Austin Reeves last year as a two-way guy that got converted to a regular contract later on. Um, this is one of the strengths of the organization. So this is certainly, even without a pick, we can get a, a contributor right in, in this part of the process. Then we have trades and free agency coming up right after that, D. Pete, really quick, the Lakers have also been known to buy basically yep. picks in the second round and there has been reporting out there that the lakers are interested in doing that again there is a just for the uninitiated there is a bundle of cash that every team has every season i think mike it might be five million dollars or six million dollars that they can include in transactions mm-hmm. in order to facilitate trades and so the infamous cash considerations <laughs> yes. that, that exist within deals that's where that comes from and that's not an unlimited pot there's a finite amount of money that exists each season and the and teams often hold some of that money back because the draft happens within before the league year turns over and yes. so having $2 million or $3 million left in your coffers in order to facilitate trades. The draft is often when teams will say, yes, hey, we like this prospect enough that we want we don't want to risk it. Is there a team out there willing to, quote unquote, sell a draft pick? And then you create a trade, right? Like, oh, we're trading for this second round pick for a future mm-hmm. conditional second that never turns into anything, plus cash considerations, right? Exactly. And to that end, we're going to have our friend uh, Mike Garcia back on the show to preview the draft. And even he's great at finding those second round and undrafted guys. He he brought up Austin Reeves when asked last year of the guys that we hadn't mentioned that he really likes, right? And so Mike really, really knows what he's talking about. And we're going to have him back on to preview that. And But the meat of 
of it, especially on a veteran team, is going to be free agency and the trade market and whatnot and kind of how we build the team from there. And the primary pivot point for that, I think, is, is Russell Westbrook going to be on the team or not? And one of our central conversations at the moment, especially between Mike and I, has been about what you do if he is. And for the purposes of this pod, we are going to operate as though he will be on the team. All of the Darvin Ham's introductory press conference, the current situation, if it changes, if he gets moved, we can talk about what I think is a different dynamic. But my argument has been that if you have Russ on your team, and I know the arguments to not have him on the team, but he is on our team, that it's necessary to calibrate toward him. And I think that framing it that way, I've done it a disservice in that it makes it sound like it's an either or of a, a, a fairly big distinction where it's like you either do this one way or you play a completely different opposite style of basketball, which is built around LeBron and AD, who we happen to win a championship with. Right. Like so it's like, duh, of course, you build around LeBron and AD. And I get that. I don't think the distinction between one and the other is as vast as I think I've maybe made it sound. And so I want to talk about like the type of guys that I want are the big and imposing athletes that can shoot a standstill three. That's kind of what I've landed on. I may be wrong with that. There are the other kind of guys that are the responsible adult guys that, that I talk about a lot that are not great athletes or maybe not anymore, but they make the correct play. They're high IQ. This matters. And I don't think that we should not have guys like that. But I think that calibrating toward Russ, what that means to me, D, is emphasizing the attributes of speed and spacing. I think speed is important because that is where Westbrook is at his best, right? He is, of the things that he's good at, it's making not just decisions as a passer, but at a high rate of speed. And th this gets the game into a level of speed that is difficult for other teams to handle. Now, that's not the only thing that's important or the only thing that he needs to be good at or anything like that. But I do strongly believe that your team needs to be able to run the floor if you have Russell Westbrook as one of the players on your team. Does that mean that they can't also play in non-Russ lineups with LeBron and AD? I actually think that having athleticism and motor around LeBron and AD is super important for separate reasons, right? I think what Russ kind of locks you into more is that you have to be more cognizant of spacing, way more cognizant of spacing than you do if you don't have him on the floor. But I'm curious your thoughts on that to start out with, that idea that calibrating toward Russ is not this like just wild swing away from what we've seen works with LeBron and AD. Yeah, this is something that I think I've mentioned on the pod before, but a lot of Russ's strengths are replicated in LeBron and AD. And a lot of the things that will benefit Russ will also benefit LeBron and AD. The thing is, is that LeBron and AD are versatile enough that if you do things differently than like LeBron and AD can play for anyone and they can play in any system, they are portable. Yes. And Russell Westbrook is not as portable. And making that distinction, I think, is important because within the context of the Lakers and their overall ceiling and all of this other stuff, for the nature of this conversation, I think it's less important because all of the things that you're doing to help Russ aren't just to help Russ. Exactly right. In theory, they should make the Lakers a better basketball team, right? Yes. And so I want athletic players who are not small, 
I want them to have motor and be able to make physical plays multiple times throughout the game, throughout a single possession. Mike, these are the things that win. And Mike, I think we're seeing that in these finals, that there's a certain amount of size, athleticism, and a baseline level of skill. I don't think the skill level needs to be like elite. I think it helps. The more skill you have, I think the better. But I do think that there is a baseline level here that the Lakers need to tune their roster towards. And I I don't even necessarily want to frame this as like, oh, well, we're doing this for, for Russell Westbrook because I think that that starts to get a little bit dangerous in its own way because, Mike, the points that you've made about like, look, Russ is in the last year of his contract of any of the key people around, right? LeBron, AD, now Darvin Ham, even like Austin Reeves or Talon Horton Tucker or n- name any other guy who the Lakers have seemingly committed to. And they've committed to Russell Westbrook. They traded for him after all. That I think give the true serum to everyone and they'll tell you like the guy least likely to be here beyond next season is Russell Westbrook. And so I'm not talking about like, I think it's, it's a bit disingenuous to say like, oh, we're going to invest and do things towards Russell Westbrook. I also that's think, not my argument either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I also think that there's that there's a danger in that because I don't necessarily want to empower this idea that like Russ has free reign to not like do the things that no, are super no, no. important towards winning. Because I think that there is this there's a correlation that can happen in people's minds when they are when things are predicated towards them that they have a different standing within things in order to not do a lot of the things that are necessary for a winning basketball team. And you could argue, not you, the royal, like the royal you, or we could argue the royal we, right? That over the course of Russell Westbrook's career, things have tilted more and more in that direction as he became, as he went higher and higher up the latter in terms of prominence within his own organization, right? And so like, oh, James Harden is now gone and OKC is now just Russ and KD or now KD is gone and it's just Russell Westbrook. And it's just like this idea of like, well, we're doing everything for you. And that means sometimes you feel like you have to do less and less of these other things that you probably had to do before when your standing wasn't as high. And the best of the best players continue to do those things regardless. And that's why they are the best of the best players over the course of their entire career. So that's a long little rant about like Russell Westbrook and where his mentality is and what the Lakers can do to help even things out a little bit more. But that but I just wanted to raise that point as well, because I think it's an it's it's an important part of the equation that doesn't get brought up enough. That said, in bringing it back to Pete's point, like. Building a roster towards or in a way towards things that will help Russ, like, yeah, let's do that. You know why? Because he's not the only person that will be helped by those things. And I actually think Anthony Davis and LeBron James need those things, too. I think there's something that Pete wants me to sort of acknowledge or hear or or I'm not I'm not sure what uh, what it is to 
to offer on this. So, I, so Pete, I, I do. I genuinely want more clarification. But, but let's take a break and come back. And, and come back, I'll get to some specifics. Yes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So is it so much to ask to not play Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo in the same lineups? Like when I talk about like calibrating toward Russ, it's like simple practical decisions like, hey, like Russ can't really shoot. And like so like you could see how ahead of time Russ and Rondo would not work or how Russ and THT lineups should be minimized or th- that idea that if it's speed and ath- speed and spacing are what what ignite off of Russ's game, what he ignites in people. I think Stanley Johnson showing some potential this year, I think, was in part because of the style of plays. He's a, a big athlete that can run the floor with Russ. And while he's not a great shooter, I had, I had a great, a great conversation the other day with someone, Mike, uh, who, who works in the league, who was very much echoing kind of your mentality of like, look, they're like 80% of the guys in the league who shoot kind of the same, right? There's a range, but like, you just need a certain level of shooter, but their point, which I thought was a great one was, can you attack a closeout? And can you like pass the ball And you attack a closeout? You're not a specialist. You can handle the ball a little bit, maybe hit a floater, keep the ball moving at least. And just like hit one out of three, like your rule type of thing. And so those what I'm looking for is lineup lineups and players and personnel that can run the floor with Russ, that when Russ creates one of those standstill open corner threes can knock them down at a decent rate. Now, if I had to pick prioritize, like, is it more important for that guy to play good high motor defense than him making that shot 40% of the time versus 33% of the time? Give me the defender, 100%. But that's what I mean, Mike, is like it's a matter of being considerate of the fact that Russ comes with some very defined weaknesses. And no, you can't play him next to two bigs, especially two bigs that can't shoot. You can't play him in small or you can't play him in slow lineups. Avery Bradley is like the exact opposite type of guard than the type of guard that should play next to him. And so the difference is that we find ourselves in this position now is that we're building out the rest of the team or we're about to with Russ already here. Whereas last summer he was part of the like, oh crap, we got 10 new guys of which Russell Westbrook's obviously the most impactful in terms of like, he's going to make the biggest, you know, uh, change good or bad. 
Whereas now it's like, well, what worked next to Russ last year and what didn't? And I would argue if you didn't sort our net ratings, Mike, through best through worst, it's guys like Malik Monk, uh, Wenyan Gabriel, Stan, um, um, Austin Reeves, of course. It's all of the young guys that can run and that ha- play with motor and that get up the court. And then all the old crusty guys are at the bottom of that. And so when I talk about calibrating toward Russ, that's what I mean is that like, don't play him with the Rondo. Don't play him with in these lineups that can't shoot. Don't play him in these slow groupings that can't do that. Now, is that the entirety of his responsibility? Is he done? Does he not have to do anything? And do you play into that? What Darius is, I'm not like, roll out the red carpet for him, do whatever he wants to make, th- make him happy. I'm, what I'm saying is that there's a practical component to it that if you don't do it, you're really going get, to get hurt on the floor. My recollection from last season, and this is mostly taking out the first month uh, in which it was more about you know, trying to figure out how to keep a lot of the structure from the prior season um, with the pigs and et cetera, was that they – and in Vogel, especially in a couple of the assistants, like really did try to acclimate the roster and the guys they had on it as much as possible to what might work with Russ and that that didn't really work either. So that that I, I don't think the way that we're talking about it was like, oh, all he did was play with Rondo and Avery Bradley and DeAndre Jordan. You know, I don't think that's the case. I think there were a lot of different times where uh, where the lineups were as optimized as possible. But we can you know, we can go back and forth on that if you want. I think the bigger thing was and is moving forward that this isn't, you know, Charlotte with LaMelo ball where, Hey, this is the guy, this is the style we're going to play with. What players are going to best complement this piece that we're going to completely uh, move forward with the warriors with Steph Curry several years ago, or even continued to be today, right? The guys, the type of players you're going to build around um, that type of a player to me the type of players that you build around on not just for next season, but moving forward for the Lakers continue to be LeBron and AD. Uh, And, and that's not, there isn't anybody else on the roster moving forward to me that, that you take too much into consideration uh, when you're trying to build out the best pieces around that. And, and I think that everybody else on the roster, this is not just, this is not focused on Russ. Um, Everybody else has to fit that. And because when when they built the roster that actually won a title in 2020 in the 1920 season, um, it was guys, whether it was completely intentional or not, that fit around LeBron and AD best. And if some of that overlaps with another player, such as Russ, great. But I'm I'm not focused on that at all because I I don't see that, again, as the long term build um, that's that's necessary. That's very well said, Mike. And I think that speaks to that's sort of what I was trying to get at earlier as well with the idea of the framing of it all, because I think framing is super important. I think that one of the ideas of building out a framework and building the identity of the team, which is something that we were talking about yesterday, Pete, it doesn't just come from style of play. It it comes from getting everyone on board and seeing things the same way. And I think that. When you have a new head coach, that's an opportunity to do yeah, that. A reset. Right? Yep. Yes. And, and so you're not trying to fold guys into something that happened before. You're trying to build something new. And I think that Frank Vogel benefited a lot from that. His first season, he, he brought new ideas to the table about what the team was going to be. Like this was a brand new team. Right. They all bought in. And Mike has said this before. It worked 
right out of the gate. And that only allowed people to feel more and more comfortable and more and more bought in about the things that they were doing. And bringing it back to the roster piece, this is where I think Ham is also going to be super important. And I'm glad that he referenced collaboration with Palinka multiple times in his opening presser, because I want Ham to be able to say these are the types of dudes that I want. And I hope that Ham is on the same sort of page that like us three are on in terms of the types of players that are going to matter. Did you hear his comments about uh, I, I, I thought of Mike when he said it, it was like we can't have enough three and D guys on this team with the guys that we have on the roster. So that gives some insight of what that collaboration might look like. No. And look, look at what the Bucks did. Right. And so. The Bucks third star. Was Drew Holiday, who ultimately is this like uh, ultimate defensive sort of player. And Middleton is that two-way big big wing, and then Giannis is like a one of one, or he's a one of three with along with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like he is sort of that two-way versatile three-level forceful player. Around that, though, it's just like, yeah, like a Dante DiVincenzo, a Pat Connaughton, a PJ Tucker, right? Even a Bobby Portis, who is not necessarily a defensive player, but he's got size. He's a stretch big. He mm-hmm. can play in different types of lineups that are super helpful. A Brooke Lopez is like a three and D center, basically. Right. And that idea of surrounding those guys with guys who are going surrounding the stars or your your most important players with guys who are going to commit to playing defense and who can hit an open three pointer in order to provide the spacing that those stars that those star players need. That's that's it right there. That is the formula. And that formula can play out in a bunch of different ways. Oh, we're a fast breaking team. Like, oh, we're an execution team. Oh, we're this or we're that. Mm -hmm. But those are the ingredients, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can bake any type of cake you want when you have those key ingredients. But that's where it stands with me, Mike. Well, first of all, I I always appreciate Pete's like actually earnest attempts to maximize right every player that's on the roster. And I think that's part of this. I think this is all with good intention. And I think what I liked about hearing Darwin come in to talk about the roster and like what's currently on it is that, you know, of course, somebody asked him about Russ early and he he did the he first praised Russ. But then the first thing that he said, which informed me that the Lakers were Darvin's scout last year. Like he has been watching them is I have to have him competing at the highest level that he can defensively because Mm -hmm. that, and I think that right there, he didn't say that first about LeBron and guess what? LeBron last year, because for reasons we've discussed many, many times could not compete at his highest level every single day, every single game defensively because of his mileage in the league and because of the weight that he has to carry in the other end. And so Darvin could have come in. Is he going to come in and challenge LeBron James to come and play defensively? Like, no, because he gets it, I think. But Russ, if Russ doesn't do, and it's the first thing that he said, if he doesn't do that, like to me, that has, that has to be something that is immediately covered. And, and I think that Frank tried it, but it was just a, it was a harder thing right last year with Russ coming in, you know, and all of the excitement and all the, how is this going to work? How is it going to connect? And I just think that that tells us that, Darvin is viewing him more in that role as opposed to somebody where here we're going to we're going to figure out not just the roster, but the way that we play in the style. And it's going to be more for you. It's it's like, no, 
man. This is more for what you have to fit into. And maybe I'm going too far into it, but that's 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 what I read into it some. That's where I disagree in that like it's not for Russ, it's for the team. It's to get value out of out of Russ. It's to get the most out of him because we're going to get great value out of LeBron and AD in the first place. That isn't a guarantee with Russ. If you play him next to a Rondo and a THT or an Avery Bradley or two big lineups, or we so often when we went small last year, how often did we say not like that? Right. In, in the text thread is like, oh, that doesn't mean like four guard, like Avery Bradley starting at the four. That's not necessarily what it means. And a lot of those minutes in the second half of the year were without Anthony Davis. And it's not going to work when the rest of your bigs are not good in the first place, regardless of the, the role that you play, play in. So Mike, it's not like in service of Russell Westbrook. Right. And I think that avoiding that framing and demanding the sacrifice and like, you got to play defense, dude. Like it's in the first place, right? Like that I'm totally with you on that. I just, it's more of a practical point that is, in service of the whole team where everybody else, man, is going to be between a vet minimum and a MLE caliber guy. And so if we don't get that value out of the guy that's making $47 million, and I know we're not going to get $47 million worth of value out of him, but if we don't get as much as we can out of him, it lowers what we can be to such a degree that that like it, it's kind of like cutting off our nose to spite our face type thing. Let, let's take a break. Come, come back and lead us back in, Mike. So the first thing, though, it, what I was talking specifically about there, though, was the defense of Russ. So not not the lineup, not who he was next to, not mm-hmm. if it was Bradley or Rondo. Like, no, that doesn't matter. You get out there and you yep. have to play a certain way defensively, period. And then, I'm OK, looking- great. You want to go out and run. And, and that's the stuff that hasn't that hasn't been there that wasn't there last year. Uh, and that's where we start. And if that's if if we're engaged on that end. And then you want to go and talk about the other end and how things flow and who has the ball at which point and how often LeBron and Russ and et cetera. But that's kind of the baseline to me. And and if that's not being met, then the team can't be good. And and with with any player that's not playing that way next to LeBron and AD. And that was I the strongly beauty. Agree. Right. So that was the beauty again of the 1920 team. And I think this is where I always I just always like how Darius is framed as the OK, show me. If that's what we're going to do, show me that you're willing to do that. And you will, because if not, there's no time this season, like there was last season to keep kind of trying it and to keep, it's like, this has to get done, period. It does. Yes. And so what are the practical steps that can be taken to get there? And I think that with a guy like Russ, especially where things are and where things ended, I think you have to take the first step toward Russ. And I think that if you can't be a situation where you keep, taking steps toward him and he's not playing hard on defense. He's not making his rotation. He's not running his lanes, right? Like that's not an acceptable or tenable solution. And I'm with you, with you on that. But I think that the first step needs to be taken. And I think ham, we're making some inferences here, but it seems like ham has, has done that has been like, yeah, you are part of the team. You are somebody that, that we embrace. And to put it in context D of, of like the rest of the roster, my argument is that there's not such a distinction between doing this and not doing this in that if we're calibrating toward Russ, we're going to need to look for three and D players. If we're calibrating, if, if we're not even considering him, you know what we need around LeBron and AD? Three and D players, right? Yeah. It's I would just say that the type is a little bit different and there's some interesting discussions to have within that. I just don't think it sets you on such a different path that we can't do both. I agree. 
there is a distinction though, and there is a quality that I want within players that I think is important. And that's feel. It's feel for it's this general feel for the game. And the ball IQ is that wrapped yeah, in that? Yes. Like Alex Caruso is like the perfect example of a player like this. You know who could get out and fill a lane and who could play in transition, who was going to help facilitate like fast paced, fast break basketball, could thrive in chaos. Mm, Alex it kills Caruso, me. It right. Kills and me. so he could have been a running mate for Russell Westbrook. And he's the exact sort of guy that you're describing here, right? Yeah, like yeah. three and D player. Is he an elite three point shooter? He's not. Can he hit 30 between 35 and 38% of wide open threes that are generated by star players? Yes, he can. He did that his last season in, in LA. And he was basically doing that in, in Chicago last season. He is a hard nosed competitive defensive player as well. Great. These are all the qualities that we discuss. The thing I'm talking about, though, when it, in terms of Caruso is look at his instincts as a defensive player, how he rotates, how quickly he diagnoses situations and then responds and reacts accordingly and makes makes the right sort of decision within the context of the play that needs to be made. I would say, too, that finding that attribute in an athletic player is fairly rare. Yes, it is. But but. This is where LeBron, especially LeBron, thrives with those sorts of players. The players that think and see the game similarly to him, who are, it's how he connected with Caruso. It's how he connected with Rajon Rondo. It's mm-hmm. like he has praised Anthony Davis for these same qualities in terms of seeing things a certain way. These are the guys. Reeves. That Le- yeah, Reeves. Austin Reeves was a guy. Yep. So, so when I'm looking at like what type of guys, yes, I agree, Pete. Like, oh, fast, athletic, can run, can do all all of these things. But I will say, if that dude stands instead of cutting, right? If he takes a false step and then tries to use his athleticism in order to make the corner rotation, mm-hmm. if he doesn't see the X out. Right. So there are a bunch of things that athletic players can do. It's just like, oh, like, look, he's running. He's getting out there. He's doing some things. But in the highest of leverage situations, you need the dude who can diagnose and see it. Yeah. And then do the correct play. Yes. Do the right thing at the right time and do it over and over and over and over and over again, because that's how you win at the highest level. And so. That sort of I'm not saying Russ wouldn't need a guy like that, too. Right. But if I'm looking at the distinction between like, oh, OK, we'll just get some of these guys because they can do it with Russ or get me a guy who's maybe not as much of the run, jump fast, mm. super athlete dude. But his thinking and his execution gets him to the spots that he needs to be at in a way that makes him more symbiotic with LeBron James. Yeah, I kind of want the latter. That's that's a strong. I love that. That's an intersection too. That that type of player works well off of Russ as well, right? Like those yes. are the guys that know when to cut, know when to set the screen, know. And so, what do you think about that, Mike? Well, I I think it's super insightful. The trick, though, and this is Pete, also to your point that you just made about Caruso, is that like a lot of what we're asking for sometimes does go in conflict 
with players uh-huh. where it's like where we want we because of LeBron's stage of his career, especially right. You need a certain requisite level of just the try hard, do the dirty things, get up and down, size, mm-hmm. athleticism. But then because of LeBron's brilliance, and also you know Anthony Davis fits into that as well. You you then need the high basketball IQ, you know, and and so <laughs> it's like we're asking for. You know, a That's bunch a good of guys. player, Mike. That's a really exactly. good player. We're asking for a lot of damn good players. And so what, what you're more yeah. likely to get is sort of some guys that can do one of those things, like, you know, I guess Stanley Johnson, right? Another guy that can do some of the other things, like Austin Reeves, where maybe Austin doesn't have the level of athleticism that Caruso has, but he's got the brains. But, oh, wait a sec, then he does. He has a couple more skills, though, than AC in terms of the shooting. Mm-hmm. Stroke is probably a little better there, right? And then, so Stanley doesn't have... Some of uh, some of the requisite things that you want, but he's got the motor. He's got the athleticism. And and that's why even in the sample sizes that those guys had in the bigger moments, like which weren't that when LeBron and AD were both healthy, I guess I should say, which was not that often last year. There weren't that many minutes when a guy like Austin and Stanley got to be on the floor with them. But then what like Malik Monk right, is lacking in a couple of the areas that you really do need next to those two and mm-hmm. certainly Russ is lacking in some so there's just we're trying to we're we know what we need right yeah to get it's to, and it's it's very hard to find so how much of you have to kind of pull from um you have to fill the pots with different yes beverages you know it, or it, it, there's not like that one drink that just gets you everywhere you need to go and and maybe there'll be a one or two but you're not going to get like seven right so that so that dilemma right there is exactly why I've wanted to talk about this over so many pods is because I think we have a very fine line that we need to walk as a result of that. And Darius's point about feel and basketball IQ and making the correct play, to me, that is one of the like when I look at free agents this summer, I think of how many boxes does this guy check? And yes, I would love a smart, high motor athlete who's six nine with a seven foot wingspan that can hit open threes at a forty percent clip. Right? Again, that's a good ass player, right? So then it becomes a matter of let's say there's four or five boxes we want to check. Can we get as close to those five as we can? I think that that should be the goal. And there are certain things that come with the guys that we do have that provide a certain advantage, meaning that. Like we don't need as much from our other guards, right? Like the type of D and there are D and three guards out there who maybe aren't the type of guy you'd put in a ball screen. You're not going to run side pick and rolls with him and LeBron, or you're not going to ask him to run your offense, and uh, you're not going to ask him to uh, to to switch, for example. But that because we have those capabilities so well represented elsewhere, that oh yeah, you can knock down a an open shot and provide some ball pressure. There are guys out there that are decent athletes that can do that at the guard spot, but because they lack those prototypical guard skills, then they don't get paid around the league what everybody else does. And I feel like in some ways, Denver does a good job of finding guys like this because it's like, well, we run our shit through Jokic. And so what we need from our guards is kind of different than what most teams need. I would argue that our needs are different around that. But I think there are places in one of the ways that the 2020 team I thought was so brilliantly constructed was we found those guys in in a lot of different places that where it's like, oh, you got this hole in your game that doesn't really matter as much in our in our particular framework. And so 
the the big thing though the big like this versus that though d is that athleticism versus iq and feel like you can have a great athlete and then you get to the second round of the playoffs the conference finals and whatnot and they can't play because a, a young player that fits this description is Kamingo, right? Kamingo is going to be a really good player in this league. But because he doesn't quite know what he's doing yet, he may have all of the athleticism in the world, which would be quite helpful against a team like Boston. But not being able to know what he, he's doing at this point means that he can't play. And there are different versions of that same concept. So of uh, that, what you said about that, D, really resonates with me in terms of like that is right up there, I think, with athleticism in terms of one of those boxes that need to be checked first. Yeah, you got to know how to play. And I'm going to keep returning to this idea a bunch over the entire offseason is we're seeing a super competitive finals right now. And whether or not these teams could have won the championship in any year over the past 15 years versus like, oh, that Cleveland team that won in 2016 or those Durant led Warriors teams or oh. even some of the other teams, like that's less important to me. Yeah. And what is more important to me is the qualities that both of these teams are showing and what we've seen throughout the playoffs that wins. That's what's important to me. And mm. it's not like the Lakers last won a championship 35 years ago, right? Or a decade and a half ago, like the Boston Celtics. <laughs> it was just two seasons ago that the Lakers won. And mm. it shouldn't be so far away that the, one of the main architects of that team still actually runs the franchise. It's the same. It's the same dude, right? It's, so these concepts aren't foreign. They sh there should be a little bit of muscle memory in terms of what it took to build out that roster. So yes, they do need to sort of figure out what they want, and they do need to find guys who check as many of those boxes as possible. A conversation that I'd love to transition to, not this pod, but in future pods, is like. Pete, you mentioned like, oh, guards and guards and guards. The Lakers still have a ton of guards do. on yeah. their roster, right? We may THT's not need to a, sign yeah. anyone of significance, yeah. THT's a guard. Kendrick Nunn's a guard. Austin Reeves is a guard. Russell Westbrook's a guard. Like, that's, that's four, four guards. You got four guards right there. You, that's kind of what you need, yeah. Right, and so, like, in building, and to sort of wrap up this conversation in terms of what the Lakers need, what they need is forwards, what they need are, is wings and getting those dudes on the five. cheap is, is what's yeah. tricky. And a, a stretch five would be nice, Mike. But, but if, if Darvin Ham is like, hey, I kind of liked what LeBron James did as a center last season. And Anthony Davis is going to play more center next season. Then it's like, okay, well, how many bigs do you actually need? You need one more at least. Probably a physical dude more than like a stretch dude. And so in having these conversations, it's just like, okay, well, what do you want? What can you get? And a lot of times the things that you want, you can't get. And so mm -hmm. the things that you can get, and that's where it's just like, where are the compromises going to be made? And, and like, we yeah. don't know the answers to that, but I know what I'm not willing to compromise on. And it's just like, okay, well, Please go out there and get some damn forwards and wings that can complement the best players on the roster. And I would say that they're not the highest level guys. But when I look at the free agent list, there are a couple of players that are athletic with good motor that like they make the correct play. Right. They might not be great ball handlers or they may not, not be great shooters. 
And that will matter to a certain degree. But I think that, again, of where you make those sacrifices is going to be important. And if I had my druthers, that forward athlete who also has feel, I really I'm so glad you brought that up, is there and available. We'll, we'll talk offline some of the specific names uh, on that. But but yeah, this has been a, a great conversation. I'd love to get more into the the forwards and those type of guys in future pods. We got game six coming up tonight. Should be a great game. Boston's fought very hard all year and they're not going to go out quietly. So yeah, the Warriors are certainly going to have their hands full. So uh, we will be back tomorrow to discuss that. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Missing. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.